It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From Fox News, it's The Campaign with Brett Baer. The 2020 campaign for president is over and Joe Biden has been projected to win the presidency. This week on the campaign, we're looking back at some of the first impressions of the candidates. On August 6, 2019, Brett and the panel discussed President Donald Trump's chances in the 2020 race. We bring in our panel, Hugo Gurdon, editor-in-chief of the Washington Examiner, Matthew Cottonetti, editor-in-chief of the Washington Free Beacon, and Chris Steyerwald, Fox News politics editor. Okay, a lot to talk about about President Trump, but on a re-election bid, Matt, where do you see him in this time frame? As the Democrats are kind of sorting themselves out, he's fighting off impeachment, but dealing with a pretty strong economy that is still cooking. And that's his ace in the hole. And we see this uh, disparity between his approval on the economy and then his job approval overall. And so the economy rating, which is over 50 percent, is where any incumbent would want to be. His overall job approval rating is kind of stuck in the mid-40s, which is around where Barack Obama's was at this point in the 2012 cycle. So uh, President Trump, I think, uh, as long in the absence of recession or war, is, uh, you know, a, has a good chance of being reelected next year. He's obviously hitting immigration, Hugo, hard again. It helped him in the first campaign. It seems to be an issue that is on the top of people's concerns when they're asked of issues that they're concerned about. Yeah, and and I think that he is more likely to gain votes rather than lose them because of the crisis that people have seen at the border. Uh, as it has gone on and as it has worsened and as – the uh, conditions at the border, both in the, you know, where the uh, illegal immigrants are being held or the, the asylum seekers are being held and the scenes of people rushing the border. The dem- as people have seen those and it's been inescapable for month after month after month, I think that the Democrats' position that there is no national emergency, there is no crisis, uh, has become increasingly untenable. Uh, untenable. And uh, you know, even the New York Times has, has acknowledged that there is a, a, a crisis there. Um, and I think so the, the Democrats, I think, have done themselves no service. And so the more that uh, President Trump plays this, uh, I think, or not the more he plays it, but he will play it big, and I think it will work to his advantage. Chris? Uh, since 1972, uh, there have been seven presidents who won a first term and sought a second term. Of those seven, five have won. Uh, beating incumbents is hard. Uh, the presumption that the, the House puts its money on the incumbent because, generally speaking, as uh, both of my esteemed peers were talking about, uh, if the economy's good and the country's at peace, as Bill Clinton demonstrated very robustly in 1996, if things are good, people don't care about the scandals nearly as much, and they don't care about the baggage and the other things, and they get good at tuning things out. Um, Trump is ha, Trump's problem 
is always and remains the same, the voters who would be inclined to like a lot of his policies but are put off by him personally. Those kinds of voters are easily accessible under two circumstances, which is one, people are generally content about how things are going for themselves and their family and they think things are good, and number two, the quality of the opponent. As Barack Obama demonstrated, as George W. Bush demonstrated, as you're running as an incumbent, your job is to make it a choice election, right? Your job is to say, hey, I may not be the greatest, but look at this other guy. He's too risky, too dangerous for the country at this moment to have. That's what Trump needs. What he has to avoid is a change election where voters are having a discussion about which direction the country should be going. If Trump ends up in that situation, he's going to really struggle. What the campaign, the Trump campaign says, is that just wait in these head-to-heads and everything else. Wait until we get an opponent. Well, and Donald Trump is particularly good at branding. Sure. And the who don't pay attention. When you look at these head-to-head polls, they're worth looking at, but they're not worth looking at for how the Democrats are doing. It's worth looking at for how to voters, what is their initial response to Trump. And Trump's underwater. That's just the truth. And by the way, part of the reason he's underwater is that all of the fan service he's doing in sucking up to his base to energize the base. Let me tell you, if evangelical Christians and socially conservative uh, uh, older white middle class voters are not on board, uh, they ain't never coming. Like the, the base better, if this, if this base ain't energized, it ain't never going to be. Um, but every action he takes to further just light this into an absolute conflagration is another thing that turns off the voters who delivered a powerful rebuke to Republicans in 2018. Suburban, college-educated suburban voters, which here we're talking 12% of the electorate, 15% of the electorate. We're talking about a group that are persuadable, and you can ask Republicans in Texas and Georgia and across the country in previously safe districts. These voters, they rebuked the Republican Party in 2018. But let me just say, if you're going to go there, and let's say it's Joe Biden, and it's a change election. The change is the respect of the office, the tweets, the right. how, how he comports himself. But actually, my my wallet, my family's doing better than right. they did four years ago. So the change is that I want that tweets to stop. Well, the the cha- the cha- the Democrats. One of the things that the Democrats are debating right now is is a return to normalcy a la um, Warren Harding in the 1920 election. Basically, what the Republicans ran on in 1920, Woodrow Wilson, who was a disaster of a president, uh, and the country had gone through the First World War, massive social engineering on uh, undertaken by the federal government. Things had been, were out of hand. And what the Republicans ran on in 20, they said, it's a return to normalcy. We're going to go back, and we're just going to chill out for a while. We're going to calm down for a little bit. And what the Democrats are considering is, do we want Elizabeth Warren, who says, Donald Trump is proof that we need to radically upend the way that America operates, or Joe Biden, or maybe even Pete Buttigieg, who says, I think we all just need to take it down a notch or two. It's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting play, especially for the suburban voters. On August 27, 2019, the panel shared their initial impressions of then-Democratic presidential candidate Kamala Harris. We bring in our panel, Mark Thiessen, Washington Post columnist and AEI fellow, Susan Page, USA Today, Washington Bureau Chief, and Chris Steyerwald, Fox News Politics Editor. Chris, that first debate, uh, Senator Harris really knocked it out of the park and went after Joe Biden, got a bump for a little bit, but... Biden really didn't take a fall, and uh, the question is where Harris's campaign picks up from here. So we've seen 
we're sort of in the third iteration of Harris's candidacy now. Uh, iteration one is the natural, right? She's the natural. She has uh, walked out of the mists uh, of the uh, San Francisco Bay, and she's appeared to win it all, and she's going to do fantastically well. And then she struggles, and the way that she struggles is answering questions from reporters Facing tough questions, she really struggled. I mean, for example, the specifics of her Medicare plan or health care plan. Again and again. Uh, were, it, it really took a lot of iterations before you got to something that... Yeah, exactly. And we need to have a conversation about having conversations. And then, Harris, the natural reemerges. She goes on stage with Joe Biden. Kapow! She lays him out. And we're going to be back to victory by acclamation. Then the polls revert to the mean. Biden takes back all of what he lost, and she gives up about three-quarters of what she gained. Now, she's better off than she was before, but she's still there. Now we're in the key third phase, and this will take the measure of the woman, which is she is getting serious and deploying to try to deal with her real problem, which is Elizabeth Warren, and she's trying to deal with Iowa, and she's trying to be a more disciplined candidate and have a more traditional organization, and we'll see whether she can make that stick. Now, Susan, she has a bus. She's doing those campaigning, kind of the gripping grin that we see ahead of the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primary. Uh, but in the last debate, some candidates went after her pretty significantly, including Tulsi Gabbard, and landed some blows. She seemed unprepared for that, which is a surprise because she had done exactly the same thing to Joe Biden in the first debate. So she should have expected to then be the target for some of her um, some of her rivals. You know, she is, it seems to me, the mirror image of Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is a woman with a plan. Whatever issue you have, she has a very specific plan with which she is deeply familiar and conversant. And Kamala Harris is someone who is appealing and compassion and and projects compassion, but she's struggled, as you said, with explaining what she actually stands for and the details of what she stands for. Some of that might be because she's a new candidate; she's not run for president before. This is a bigger um, stage than she's been on, in, even in California, which is a pretty big stage. Uh, but she has to show that she can deal with the specifics of questions on policy and the debates are the big test of that I think for her. Mark? On paper she is the ideal Democratic candidate, an African-American woman. Uh, it appealed to both of those constituencies that are super important in the, Demo- in the Democratic primaries but what we're seeing here is that candidate quality matters. Uh, the, the, the talent and ability of the candidate to, to uh, debate and to push or move on their feet is is super important, and she really hasn't demonstrated that. And you saw Tulsi Gabbard in that last debate ch- channeling her inner Chris Christie <laughs> and sort of take it, taking her out. And it was, you know, her she sort of took off because she did so well going after Biden in that debate, and people thought, oh, this is someone who... And the reason that worked is not because it was necessarily going to hurt Biden, but because people looked at her and said, oh, there's somebody who could take on Trump at a debate, right? And then the next debate, she took the incoming... And she couldn't handle it. And so people are, people looked at that and say, that's not a person who can go up head to head with Donald Trump. Uh, so she attacked better than she than, than she received. And uh, and that's that could be deadly for her. You know, the specific attack, Chris, is about her time as a prosecutor and mm-hmm. as attorney general of California. And I'm not sure she has answers for some of that. So we would remember she's suffering for the things that Mark described, but she's suffering for something else, too, 
which is Democratic voters are a lot more pragmatic this time around than they typically are. And there are concerns among a lot of Democrats, people I talk to, uh, both in leadership and uh, in the rank and file, that America is not ready to vote for a woman, especially not a black woman. And that as they think about her, so she's dealing with that in the those voters who are more pragmatic. But among the voters, uh, Democratic primary voters who are less pragmatic, uh, the very thing that makes her saleable in a general election, the fact that she's tough on crime, she's a prosecutor, she gets the job done, her anti-truancy measure in California, all of those things are selling points in a general election, but for a substantial group of Democratic primary voters, it's a negative. So well, I mean, got, Hillary Clinton would point to the popular vote and say they were ready to vote for a woman. <laughs> they were ready to vote for a woman. And Barack Obama would point to the, the votes and say they were ready to blow, vote for an African-American. But... I agree with you that there's there's some concern about finding the person who can beat Donald Trump. You know what? There's going to be either a woman and or a racial minority on the Democratic ticket. Yep. This is not going to be two white guys uh, on this ticket this in 2020 or, I predict, in many years to come. Uh, and it, 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 any of those candidates are groundbreaking. Um, you know, we've never had a woman president. Uh, or a woman vice president, but if the Demo- but the Democrats are invested in doing that, so that's that's going to happen. What it seems to me Kamala Harris needs to do is do what Biden is doing, which is turning a negative into a positive by making the point you were just making that it is makes it's what she it's who she is. She's a pragmatist. These are positions that will appeal to a broader electorate. That is an argument she could make, but it is not an argument she did make. Okay, so where does she excel? It's hard to say because again, candidate quality. She has not. She has not performed very well. She needs to. She needs to. I don't think she has a path to the nomination in all likelihood, but she does have a path for the reason that Susan just raised to the vice presidency. Uh, if Joe Biden gets the ticket, he's not going to pick a white guy, as you pointed out. She'd be again on paper a very compelling vice presidential candidate. But in order to do that, one, she's got to probably not try and take out Joe Biden the way she did, because uh, that's going to cause her a lot of friction and in, uh, in, in, in the process. And two, she has to show herself to be a lot more competent. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And on September 16, 2019, the panel discussed the path to the presidency of then-Democratic candidate, former VP, Joe Biden. We bring in our panel, Mark Thiessen, Washington Post columnist, AEI fellow, Susan Page, USA Today, Washington bureau chief, and Chris Dyerwalt, Fox News politics editor. Uh, after that first debate, Joe Biden looked like a fighter who was going to the corner and mm-hmm. needed uh, need a little help from Mick exactly. or somebody. Uh, and he looked like he was beaten down, but the polls did not bounce down. He bounced back, in fact. But since then, Chris, he's, he's had a number of gaffes that are not traditional Biden gaffes. These are bigger ones. These are Parkland. Big, bigger than big effing deal. Yeah, no, that was, that was, <laughs> that was the moment. That was charming. Was that moment. was delightful. When you, when you say twice that you were the vice president when the Parkland kids made their lobbying for gun control up on Capitol Hill and they came to see you, uh, and it turns out that you weren't vice president weren't when vice that president. happened. Yeah. It was 2018. And you said it twice. Then the campaign comes out and says, well, he meant Sandy Hook. Well, those are kids that are five and six years old. 
they weren't up on Capitol Hill lobbying for gun control. Um, that's a big one. It's a big one. Um, Joe Biden is, uh, in terms of his support, he is a lot like Donald Trump, but with one substantial deficiency. So Biden's great advantage is that it's all baked in, right? This is his third run for president. He has been around. He is older than Croesus. He has been around since the beginning of time. Uh, and he knows it all. And people give him such broad latitude because when you say, oh, Joe Biden's a gaffe machine. Well, yeah, he's definitely a gaffe machine. Joe Biden, you know, uh, doesn't he, he uh, hugs people too much. Yeah, it's all it's all baked in with Biden. And every time Trump's opponents in 2016 said this man is a reality show host, flim flam. And they're like, yeah, we got it. We, we understand. We stipulate and we're still voting for him. The problem Biden has that Trump didn't have is that if Biden looks like a bad investment, he will tank in a second. Donald Trump could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. If Joe Biden hits the uh, the do not buy uh, standard, he they'll cash him out in a second. And there is growing concern. Some of it's public, uh, David Axelrod, others people tweeting. Some of it's private, where Democratic circles, there is an angst that they might have the wrong horse here. A concern about his age about his vitality and his vigor. Uh, And the campaign is not addressing these concerns effectively by not having him do a lot of interviews, by not having him do a lot of news conferences, by having him have a less uh, vigorous schedule than the other contenders. So they're not proving that the gossips are wrong when they say that that Joe Biden is not the candidate for this race. You know, there's another problem for Joe Biden. I actually covered his other two campaigns, and he was not a good candidate in either no. campaign. And now he's now he's a very beloved figure. He's Uncle Joe. Uh, people uh, people love him, <laughs> right? But, but people, a lot of Democrats love him, but do they have questions? Yes. His biggest selling point is, I'm the guy who can win against Trump. So if he shows any weakness, if he doesn't come in first in Iowa, he has disproven the primary selling point he's tried to make. The CNN debate, um, he performed. He had some stumbles there, but he did, you know, he made it through. Um, And I guess that's a low bar. He needs to have a a big showing in a debate where he, he really excels. Otherwise, there's going to be these lingering doubts that are going to build. No doubt. I mean, look, Joe Biden, if he was elected, would be older on Inauguration Day than Ronald Reagan was on the day he left office. So this, we're, we're talking about a new a new level of, of, uh, of geriatric uh, presidency uh, when, we're, when we're talking about Biden. And he's fragile and he's old, but I don't think that's his biggest weakness, actually. He'd be younger than Bernie Sanders. That's true. Well, he's got that going for him, which is nice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, Joe Biden is the only candidate who has the actual right strategy to beat Donald Trump. The, the right strategy is that... It's the it's the George W. Bush 2000 strategy after Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky scandals and everybody was exhausted with it, which is, look, you're tired of the chaos. I'm a normal, decent guy. I'm going to bring honor and dignity back to the Oval Office. I'm going to put an end to the chaos and I'm going to make incremental changes in the direction you want to go. That is the absolute right strategy. He's the wrong candidate to deliver it. And not just because of the fragility, which I think is a real problem. It's because I think the premise of his campaign and his appeal is wrong. So he's he's seen as the guy who can win back the Obama Biden, the Obama Trump voters. So you have millions of Americans in a lot of these swing states who voted twice for Barack Obama and then switched to Donald Trump and Biden because they voted for him with Obama. Maybe he can bring those people back. He's the absolute worst person to bring those people back because those people switched for a reason. The 
other issue for him is his party, which is increasingly wants to, it seems, swing for the fences. At least that's where the the power or the passion of the party is. So when he talks about incremental change, uh, that's not the Green New Deal. No. That's not Medicare for all. That's not the big things that a lot of the other candidates are talking about. Uh, big frustration for Democrats in Washington is that the liberal revolution that they thought was taking place in their party was not as complete as they imagined. And that uh, the party has moved dramatically to the left, there's no question. If we look at just where the party platform is now versus where it was when Joe Biden ran for president the last time, things have changed big time in terms of what the political center is. But I would also caution People will vote for very conservative people. They will vote for very liberal people. They always vote for people. Um, There are millions of Americans who voted for both Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Now, you tell me what the ideological center string is for the people of Lucerne County, Pennsylvania, who said, yeah, Trump, okay, sounds good. This is not, uh, I think Mark is very right about an appetite for change, but Voters, persuadable voters, if you have an opinion about the things that Mark was talking about, your vote's not up for grabs. You've already you've you've already made some decisions about which party you're likely to support. What we're talking about here and the appeal for Biden is that there are for 20 or 25 percent of the electorate of persuadable voters. There is something very attractive about the Warren Gamameel Harding pitch return to normalcy we've been through a lot of weird change that's crazy we've been through a lot of stuff we went through we went through a a war we went through a recession we went through all obamacare we've been through trump let's chill out for a while i don't tweet i don't tweet (laughs) and i will just you know i'll I, i will hang out but it seems like in the polls that there is a reluctance to to pull back from Biden, even if he has these stumbles. I think. I mean, there's there's yeah. kind of like a holding on to wait. He can still pull it out. Yes, I think that's been a surprise, and it's been a sign that his standing is is stronger than you might have expected. Okay, guys, thank you very much. That's it for this week on the campaign. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.